The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. I'm shocked, shocked that members of the Senate with whom I served eight years are actually saying things that portray America in a good light, are actually voting for legislation that benefits America and not every other nation in the world. I'm shocked. Seriously, Hillary Clinton again. When will these people just... Because that's... The problem is there's more liars right behind her. They're queued up, ready to go. It's just, it amazes me how somebody could live with themselves when literally every single thing that comes out of their mouth is either a lie or is predicated upon a lie. But then again, look who we've got in the West Wing. An inveterate liar. A man who lies like lies are his oxygen. These people are beyond sick. The president used to call them sick. They're not just sick. They're evil. These people are sick, twisted, evil human beings. And we're not supposed to judge people's hearts, but okay, I'll judge their actions. Every single thing they do, say, or urge is either a lie or is predicated upon a lie. Donald Trump was going to be a dictator on day one. Didn't they say that about him in 2016 as well? And how did that end up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Trump spied on Hillary's campaign, and then he weaponized the Justice Department and the intelligence community and our Five Eyes treaty partners against Hillary's campaign, and then pushed an independent counsel investigation that was absurd. And then, then they impeached Hillary twice. Trump, Trump did that. Trump did that. And we cannot allow that to ever happen again. Yeah, Trump's the dictator. Tell us again, Hillary. Seriously, every single time she opens her yap, she helps Donald Trump. And you think that Trump isn't popular? He went to SneakerCon in Philadelphia over the weekend, and they went nuts for him, just like they do when he walks into a WEF wrestling match, MMA match just like they do when he walks into his rallies, whether it's in a smaller hockey rink that only holds 10 or 15,000 people or is in a larger... I think Trump could sell out stadiums. And I think that the reason that they haven't been doing that is, you know, they'll say, oh, no, he's gonna want him to, he doesn't want to speak to a half-empty stadium. Uh, no. I think it's because he doesn't want to present too target-rich an environment to them because these people are not above bombing a Trump rally. In fact, I'm quite surprised it hasn't already. The fact that it hasn't already is a testament to the security, the private security and the Secret Service that protect the president. It's uh, a bad time in American politics, but it's no, it's no worse than... It was when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated or James Garfield or McKinley when Reagan was shot, no worse than when they killed Jack and Bobby 
in Martin within a five-year span. These people have already proven that they're not above assassination. They assassinated DM to harm regime change in Vietnam. We're fighting a spiritual battle here on the physical plane. And people are just entering the find out phase. Truckers are now talking about not delivering food to New York City for three years. I lived in New York twice. I love New York City. I've loved it since I first set foot on its pavement when I was a 14-year-old boy in 1976. I've had a love affair with that city. The only cities I've been to that even compare, I haven't been to London, it's Paris. Munich's a nice city, doesn't compare to New York. Athens is a nice city, doesn't compare to New York. Paris is the only one in a different way that's comparable to New York. I'm, I, I'm guessing London is, or at least used to be before it became Londonistan. But it grieves me greatly what they've done to my beloved city. But I've got no sympathy. You get the government you vote for. And that's why we need everybody this election to get active. Every single person needs to not only vote, but bring 10 of your friends to vote. Get 10 of your friends and family that are going to vote for Trump to vote. We need everybody. This is an all-hands-on-deck drill. And TNT is a big part of that. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say that they do. We are a live TV and radio broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media their powerful sponsors, and the likes of crooked politicians like Crooked Hillary. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to tntradio.live and make a small donation to TNT if you're able to, while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. Lighting the fuse for freedom on today's News Talk, TNT. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to the newest numbers coming from the United States Department of Agriculture, beef cattle supply has dropped to its lowest point in decades, raising the price of beef to another all-time high and renewing concerns over the long-term health of the nation's farming community. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. Uh, where's the beef, right? Um, so <laughs> this is uh, thanks to the biannual cattle inventory report that we now know numbers are low. Uh, and there's lots of uh, indication as to what the problem might be. Uh, you'll never guess. Oh, yeah, you could probably guess. Regardless, uh, let's see here, a series of severe droughts that have shocked the supply chain coupled with government policies that continue to tilt the the playing field towards large industrial food processors have plummeted the nation's supply of beef cattle to a level not seen since the early 1950s these reasons are according to justin tupper 
who probably would know. Uh, he's the president of the United States Cattlemen's Association. Uh, according to him, the shortage of precipitation has led to a lack of available pastures for grazing, which has wreaked havoc on the livestock supply. Uh, he said, I believe to uh, the Epoch Times, quote, the cows need to graze to be able to flourish, and these drought conditions have absolutely crippled the supply. Raising cattle is a complicated process where a lot of things have to go right. If just one factor is off, it, off, it can have a devastating effect on the cattle, end quote. Well, what are the numbers? Let's take a peek. The report coming from the USDA says that the nationwide beef cattle inventory decreased to 28.2 million as of January 1st. That would mark its lowest level since the 1970s and a 2% decline from the previous year. Uh, John Boyd Jr., who's president of the National Black Farmers Association, called the resulting loss of cattle a national crisis. He took uh, he was seen on Fox and Friends first, where he said, quote, we already are seeing such a steep hike of beef prices in this country, and it's because we're not supporting these cattlemen such as myself. The Biden administration isn't paying attention to this national crisis. This is a national crisis for America's cattlemen, and this administration has turned a blind and deaf ear to something that needs immediate attention. Americans are going to pay the price at their local grocery stores, end quote, uh, which means we're going to see those little Joe Biden stickers, not at the gas pumps, but on the sides of beef. Uh, beef prices have indeed hit a record high. The latest consumer price index report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows beef and veal prices are up 7.7 percent compared to January 2023. Ground beef is up 5.5 percent. Beef roasts up 6.7 percent and beef steaks up 10.7 percent. Uh, and apparently further exacerbating the shortage are increasing acres of cattle farms that are being purchased by larger companies that after acquiring them often use them for alternative purposes. Uh, take, for instance, uh, Mr. Gates, Mr. Bill Gates. That's right. Apparently, he owns about 270,000 acres spread across 18 states. And that's just what we know of by reporting as of last year, 2023. He also happens to be an investor in Upside Foods, who is one of the two synthetic meat producers who happen to be approved by the USDA. And of course, as you would guess, like some of these climate Tards, Timothy. He believes by shifting away from eating meat, we're going to save the planet. So uh, he might be the only one who's happy to hear the news that cattle numbers are down. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not happy to hear this. How about you? What do you think? No, I'm not happy at all. Beef is a fantastic source of protein. And as a lifelong member of PETA, people eating tasty animals, I am wholeheartedly in support of a healthy beef cattle population. We've been calling this out for years. I had uh, a friend who is a cattle rancher. Her family has been in the business for generations in Oklahoma. Uh, had her both on the MAGA Institute podcast and on this show. And this isn't anything new. They've been going after the beef cattle for years. Okay. Remember the big 
die-off we had with cattle mysteriously being found with bloat. And all of a sudden there was cattle and feedlots, a massive die-off of cattle and feedlots. Well, as it turned out, they weren't being properly watered in the middle of a heat wave. We've had Cessnas flying into meat processing plants. We've had uh, crops that have been recalled. We've had beef recalls. You know, I mean, it's not just beef. They did it to turkeys before Thanksgiving. They killed 45,000 turkeys uh, before Thanksgiving last year. They've killed, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, plural, of chickens over the last several years to create egg shortages. They're messing with our food supply. And as I said, they're starting to get to the find out phase. Truckers are having none of it. They're, you know, it's going to be the reverse hunger games. It's going to be the truckers deciding it's going to be the people from Panem, people from the rural parts of our country deciding what liberals get to eat and how much. And I, again, have no sympathy. I saw a great video on YouTube over the weekend. It was a young man. I don't know if he was from the west of England or whether we were from Ireland. His accent was hard to place for me. I think he was Irish. Uh, he was pronouncing it uh, methane instead of methane. And he did the chemistry. And it's interesting because he said on my dairy farm, let's say there are 10 carbon dioxide molecules, so 10 carbon atoms, right? He said, two of them are respired by the cow. One of them goes into the meat, which feeds me, and I respire that one. But the cow's digestion, the bacteria in the cow's rumen accounts for the other seven, which people colloquially call cow farts, and that's an emission. But the three carbons that were emitted through respiration isn't an emission. So that's the first thing people need to realize, that these cattle emissions, well, they're not counting respiration. They're not counting the respiration of humans after they eat the meat or drink the milk. So he traced those seven carbon atoms. And after 10 years, Adam, all of those seven carbon atoms that came out as methane get converted in the atmosphere. It takes 10 years for a methane to get converted to carbon dioxide. But he said, if you once you have a stable herd, as I've had for generations on my farm, there's precisely zero net methane produced because for every seven methanes that the cow is producing, and again, these are round numbers for illustration, illustrative purposes only, there are seven in the atmosphere that were emitted 10 years ago that are being converted to carbon dioxide. And, and again, it's the carbon cycle. Carbon dioxide isn't a toxin. It's not a pollutant. It's plant food. That's what I learned in science way back in the day. Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember this, or maybe I was never taught, but what, what is released into the atmosphere if you burn methane? Because methane is an awfully uh, flammable thing, and it could be used as a fuel alternative, maybe. I don't know. Well, a lot of parts of the world, they do use cow dung and other, other types of dung as fuel. Um, funny how they're worried about cows, Adam, but they're not worried about East Palestine, where toxic carcinogenic chemicals were spewed by the tons, the tens of tons. It affected my area here. The snow was black. Then the snow melted. 
and it contaminated our groundwater and our lakes. East Palestine was a major, major environmental disaster, and the federal government paid precisely zero attention to it. But cow farts, Adam, cow farts, don't let them get you. Yeah, they also don't seem to care much about the carbon footprint of the military uh, sometimes. <laughs> or of the 5,500, I said it last night, 5,500 private jets took off from McCarran after the Super Bowl, 5,500. That's larger than the Air Force of many of our allied nations. 5,500, 5,500 private jets took off from McCarran. And they're, these are the same people that are lecturing us about our carbon footprints and how we can't have our burgers. Make mine double patty, Adam. Thanks for a great story. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he'll be extradited to the United States to face criminal prosecution. TNT was at the Royal Courts of Justice today and will be back tomorrow broadcasting and covering the entire second day of the hearing. And then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London to get citizen commentary. And search online also for the explosive new documentary, The Trustfall, Julian Assange. It's very informative. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT. TNT's Mark Morano. Breaking news. Climate punks trash the U.S. Constitution at the National Archive Rotunda in Washington, D.C. We are determined to foment a rebellion. We will not be held accountable to laws in which we have no voice or representation. The entire U.S. Archive was evacuated because of this stunt. And did you notice our men in blue and women in blue? stood around and enabled these protesters to not only deface the case of the of the where the u.s constitution was held but also to quiet the crowd it seemed like and just allow them to speak it's almost as if hey they have the floor everyone let's be quiet we have some uh, we have some uh, vandals here that want to speak let's give them our due respect that they've deserved that they've earned mark morano on today's news talk tnt a better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page, and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Joanna Harabedian is a music composer, vocal artist, and three-time national pageant title holder. Joanna uses her platform to help women shine like diamonds. Whether it's gracing the cover of Tiara magazine or learning from her own mistakes, Joanna understands the importance of a healthy mindset for success in both love and life. Joanna has an online coaching program and conducts seminars around the country called Women of Royalty, Reveal the Diamond Within. These events inspire and help empower women to discover their inner jewel to better fulfill their callings in life. You can find her book at sevenmistakesbook.com. That's number seven, mistakes, plural, book.com. And go to virtualchurchmedia.com 
for more information. I'd like to welcome to the reckoning for the first time, but definitely not for the last time, Joanna Hirabedian. Thank you, Timothy. It's an honor to be here. I'm so excited to be here tonight to have this conversation with you. Well, Joanna, this book is really interesting. And I've got to say, full disclosure, I am the poster boy for it seemed like a good idea at the time. So I love the title already, (laughs) Seven Mistakes Book. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I graduated from, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what led you to to write the book and and what's the book about and what's it going to do for people? Well, I graduated from the University of Ouch, that hurt. Now what? In the whole arena of romance results previously. I initially married Mr. Wrong and we'll go cliche, you know, just for teaching purposes. So I initially married Mr. Wrong the first time. And the second day after we were married, I heard the words, I don't love you. And that turned my world upside down and was the beginning of hell. (laughs) So uh, long story short, I escaped that marriage and then I had to get healing from the trauma that happened. And I found myself on the floor in an ugly cry moment that us girls could have. And I cried out to God and I said, how did I end up in this mess with a man who's so broken and did so many destructive things? And I married him and chose him hold up a mirror to my face and show me what happened. And that was the beginning of a brand new journey for me, which is the foundation stones of the book, Seven Mistakes Women Make That Repel Good Men and How to Reverse Them. But, you know, then the most interesting thing happened once I got healed from the emotional trauma, and then I was ready to, you know, find a Mr. Right time seemed to tick by and I became single for year after year, after year, after year. And then I went through phases of being, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I attract the right guy? And then I seemed to be repelling good men and attracting ones that I wasn't attracted to. And so what was a a long journey for me is now what everyone has at the tips of their fingers. So they don't have to go through years of heartbreak, but now they can learn core principles, core mistakes that women across the board make that I didn't even realize I was making. I'm very vulnerable in the book, you know, and it takes courage to say, okay, God, hold up a spiritual mirror to my face and show me how I ended up in this mess. And I give myself permission to change my mind, given new information. So we have to be willing to humble ourselves so that we can have better results in romance and attract the right partner. So we can have a successful, healthy relationship and not engage in behaviors that can sabotage and destroy uh, an otherwise what would be a great marriage. Well, I'm sorry that it was so painful for you, that experience. All I can say is that some of us, apparently God is using to set examples for others, what not to do. Don't feel too bad. I was a neuroscientist. I understand how the brain works. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I never took, I never took a clinical class and I never took an abnormal psychology class. Mm -hmm. I spotted every single red flag, every single one. I didn't have a conceptual framework in which to organize them to make the picture, right? So I spotted Mm -hmm. this aberrant behavior and that aberrant behavior and that one and that one and that one. But I didn't realize that every single box on the psychopathic narcissist checklist was being checked. 
And at least you heard the words. My marriage lasted 10 years to the day I was served on my 10th wedding anniversary by wow. a woman I'd stayed with for five years after she had tried to kill herself following the birth of our second child. And because the promise is in sickness and health, right? And mental illness is, right. is just illness. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was an education in what the young guys are calling divorce rape. It's why we have passport bros. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. It's a two-way street. And I was dating. One of the first dates I went on, I went out to dinner with this lovely woman mm -hmm. in the course of the evening. She asked me a question I hadn't been asked before. And she said, what role did you play in the failure of your marriage? Yeah. And I thought for a second. I said, that's an excellent question. I've never been asked that. And I thought for a second. And I said, it all, all boils down to the fact that I wasn't a masochist. Things were wonderful as long as I was saying yes. There wasn't any trouble until I said no. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people go through this. And I think that malignant narcissism is on the rise. There's plenty of YouTube channels about it. We mm -hmm. we yeah. see uh, a younger royal who shall remain nameless being led astray by a, a virulently malignant narcissist, unfortunately, an American. Uh, we're seeing this more and more, and I think it's the culture in which we're living. Mm -hmm. It is. And I address that in my book. I, the first chapter is called the Whiffham syndrome. What's in it for me syndrome. Now there's, there's a healthy mindset of having a healthy Whiffham, which is, you know, healthy boundaries, uh, a heart where the heart is to serve and it's a mutual give and take my self-esteem. Right. And self-esteem, you have to have that. Otherwise you've got other problems on the other opposite scale, but then you have the unhealthy with them. And that and I want to talk we, about that after these headlines, because that's a big okay. topic. The unhealthy yeah, with them, the unhealthy what's in it for me syndrome. You're listening to the reckoning on today's news talk, TNT. TNT radio news, huge news, 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 news. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The Australian government has announced a significant $11.1 billion enhancement for the Royal Australian Navy, which will see the Navy's warship fleet expand from 11 to 26 vessels by the late 2040s, marking the largest fleet since World War II. Elon Musk has expressed his view that Ukraine will not emerge victorious in its conflict with Russia, suggesting that the prospects for Kyiv and any potential peace negotiations are diminishing as the conflict continues. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. So healthy what's in it for me syndrome versus unhealthy what's in it for me. Healthy self-esteem versus narcissism. Where where's the boundary line? Well, here's the boundary line. And and I'll just use myself as the example. This my I, when I married Mr. Wrong the first time, I didn't realize that I was I was selfish on the inside. My whiffum was 
I was excited about being a wife and sure it's, you know, every woman wants to be married, but for me, it was more of a title. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a missus. I'm going to be married and he's going to provide for me and he's going to take care of me and he's going to help me with my ministry and he's going to help me with my music. So it was all about what he was going to do for me. My mindset wasn't what, how I'm going to serve him and how we're going to serve each other. And if you look at the media right now, there's this huge programming that's happening that is programming men to be emasculated and to really promote this female dominance and she's going to rule and you're going to do what I say. Well, that is the epitome of a very unhealthy Wiffum syndrome. And even subtly, you know, if you look at little subtle memes, a friend of mine posted and she loves her husband. She would never intentionally dishonor him on Facebook, but she posted this meme that was supposed to be funny. And the meme essentially was about, well, any bad characteristics that your kids have is because your husband. Now people laugh, but again, this is a put down. It's a subtle whiff them. Everything that's bad is your husband's fault is really what the messaging is. And then what about the saying, happy wife, happy life? Well, that's implying that only the wife, hey, you make the wife happy, everybody's going to be happy. Well, guess what? That's not true. The husband's not going to be happy. So I have a saying, happy spouse, happy house, because that implies both partners have the equal give and take of making and serving each other, making them happy. And so what we're I really like that because I saw a friend sent me a TikTok video. I'm not on TikTok. I am on X. You can follow me at The Reckoning TNT. But a friend sent me a TikTok video and it was a woman saying that happy wife, happy life is the most destructive phrase in our society. And she said it took me a long time to realize how I was sabotaging my marriage. And she mm -hmm. said, really, if and, and she wasn't using the words, right? She wasn't using what's in it for me syndrome. But she right. said, I was so selfish and so self-centered and so all about what is he doing for me that I was losing sight of the fact that if a wife provides for her husband, he will crawl across broken glass and break down a door and, and come into the fire to rescue her. There is nothing your husband won't do for you as long as you take care of his spiritual, physical and emotional needs. And she said it was the biggest epiphany. It's not happy wife, happy life. It's mm -hmm. happy husband, happy life, happy life, happy wife. But I like your expression, happy spouse, happy house. Although well, a house exactly. should really be a home. Well, exactly. And so, but when you have the partners who are serving each other, you know, like when I met my husband, Dr. David Harabedian, we initially were not attracted to each other. We were introduced through a friend and I thought he was a great guy. He thought I was a great guy and we were both in a healthy space. And some time went by, I felt led to support his uh, prison ministry that provides Bibles for inmates, Heart America prison mm -hmm. ministry. And then he called me a couple of weeks afterwards, not realizing it was the same woman to thank me for the donations and the support. And so from there, we became friends and prayer partners and things like that. And then eight months goes by, he comes to California. At that time, I was living in California and he was living in Missouri, invited me to speak at an event. And so the minute that I set my foot in the door and our eyes met, it was literally like a veil was taken off of our heads and we had a mutual instant spark. And so from there, we decided to explore the spark. You know, he let me know that he was attracted to me and, uh, you know, do, am I attracted to him? And I said, yes. So let's see if, you know, we're destined for marriage, if we're going to be a match. 
And you talked about in the beginning of the show, Timothy, you talked about the red flags that you saw, but you, you didn't see or, or didn't want to see. And so those well, I are couldn't very... make sense of them. I saw no, them, but they, I didn't, didn't know what sense. they meant. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And so we have a saying, my husband and I, little keys unlock big doors and big mm. doors swing on small hinges. And see, I went, I, I made the same mistake with Mr. Wrong. I, there were little warning signs, but like you, I didn't know what to make. I didn't know how to make sense of it. And so I, I got married. And so, but when I was, when I met David, um, we had an opportunity to kind of see what a red flag might look like or what it was not. So we were chatting, we had become friends and we were on the phone and, you know, he's a ministry and he's a, um, also in the marketplace as a consultant. So he said, oh, hang on a minute. I have to take this other call. So I said, okay, no problem. So he takes the other call and then left me on the eternal hold. And so I thought, so I got irritated. I thought, okay, I'll just let it go. So then we were another call and then it happened again. He left me on an eternal hold. So now I'm irritated. Now, had it been the old me, I would have got, I would have assumed he was doing it on purpose. And I could have excusatorily said, you know, you're so rude the way you keep putting me on hold, at least just let me know. Right. But now because I have learned these skills and become a master at it, I handled it different. So I took my irritation to heaven. I said, God, you know, I'm irritated. La, la, la. And then when David and I were in a good place, we were on another phone call. And I said, David, you know, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, you know, I know you would never intentionally dishonor or disrespect me. He's like, oh, no, I wouldn't. I said, you know, um, can you just do me a favor? He said, sure. I said, next time we're on the phone and you have to take a call, I totally understand. Just let me know that you have to take the call and I'm fine with that. But because you, you haven't realized that I've been left on the eternal hold when I thought you were coming back. And I know, you know, my time's valuable. So you see how that approach is completely different. Yes. It's honoring, yep. it's respectful, and I'm not assuming the worst. This is the thing a lot of women will do is they'll assume the guy did it intentionally when he really didn't. He's clueless, you know. And so for him, had I done the first reaction, you know, you do, 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 that would have been his red flag. Okay, she's got some emotional issues because she's flying off the handle off a little phone call. And if he had not responded to me with respecting, you know, what I said in a nice way, then that would have been my red flag that if he's not honoring and respecting what I pointed out that is happening and he's ignoring it, that is my red flag that this is not, that's not going to change because whatever we, and I've learned this the hard way, whatever you see, these little flags that are happening before you're married, they're not going to get better after you get married. They just, no, in fact, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. um, In fact, you know, you're talking about serving each other. That's the best description of the difference between heaven and hell that I've ever heard. You see, in hell, there's this banquet table that's just groaning with roasted turkeys and steamship rounds of beef and all sorts of wonderful side dishes and breads and desserts and just all the great food you could possibly imagine. But everyone has a three-foot-long fork permanently attached to their hand, and they can't they can't feed themselves because they the, the fork handle's too long. Mm-hmm. That's hell. Heaven, yeah. same scene, except everybody's feeding each other. It's like, yes, that's right. it right there. That is brilliant. If we serve each other, and that's what I look for in politicians. I look for a servant's heart because mm-hmm. I don't want somebody that's in office that thinks that he's a leader or she's a leader just because she's got the title. You've got to have a servant's heart in order to be a leader. That's the lesson of Jesus washing the apostles' feet. 
Well, it really is. And that's the lesson that, that we all should be taking in every area of our lives. You know, it's funny. I have, I had two editors editing my book and, and they both read when they read my material, both of them said, this is incredible material, Giovanni, your content is amazing. And then one of them said, except for chapter seven, I said, well, what's wrong with chapter seven? She said, I am chapter seven. I'm the director, AKA the backseat driver. <laughs> so, and see all of these mistakes they are rooted in that Wiffen syndrome. And that's why it is the first chapter because it sets a foundation stone, you know? And then the other thing, you know, if you dig deeper and this is what I help help you do in the book, I help you dig deeper. Okay. Let's say, she, okay. So she's the director. Let's and go into, dig, let's go into how you dig deeper and what the other uh, six mistakes might be after this quick break. You're listening to The Reckoning on today's News Talk TNT. Around here. Bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare, to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. Political neutrality, not with Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So, Joanne, you've told us a couple of the mistakes, the unhealthy what's in it for me syndrome, the director syndrome. People can find the other five mistakes if they just go get your book at sevenmistakesbook.com. What do you do once you've identified the mistake? You said you go deeper in the chapter. So so what can people expect in each chapter? Well, that's a great question. I'll, I'll start with uh, chapter two. Um, you know, see, it, everything kind of roots back to identity. And as we uncover the mistakes that we make, you know, I I, I can like this. We have a coin. One side of the coin is women. The other side of the coin is men. And we are each 100 responsible for our side of the coin. So my book comes from the perspective of the female side of the coin. And I love what you said earlier in the, in the show, how you were asked a question, what was your part in the failure of the marriage? So you see, even though I went through hell in my marriage, I could have blamed Mr. Wrong for all the bad behavior, the bad things that happened. But I also had to take a look at why, what was in me, what was my contribution to the failure of the marriage. And so in the book, I highlight different things, mistakes that I've made. And I also have great practical examples. And then I have thought provoking questions at, at the end of each chapter. And so chapter two has to deal with identity and see that is also a root issue behind the other mistakes, because see, as women, you know, we're, we're often many, you know, of us are sexually abused or, you know, have been in a violent situation or, you know, what have you, or, you know, and other women, they come from a good family, but, you know, maybe dad was a perfectionist and that thing you did was right. You know, so there's all these underlying things that, that are under the surface. And if we have been hurt in the past, you know, then we have a fear. And so fear drives a lot of things. And so it's easy for our identity to get caught up in a role, to get caught up in behaviors, to get caught up being shaped by circumstances that formed you, not by the God who created you. So chapter two is called the beautiful you. And so in the beautiful you, I help women be able to accept a very simple thing, yet very, very profound. 
which is to learn how to accept a compliment. And it might seem really silly, but it's actually very pivotal because here's why. If I can't accept a compliment, and let's look at a compliment in this vision that I had. I struggled with that tremendously. I would reject compliments. I would push it back. I would deny it. And then I would draw negative attention to myself. And then I was praying one day and I was given a vision. And in this vision, I was holding this beautiful bouquet of flowers. I mean, it was stunning, the most stunning bouquet that you have ever made. And I, I made it for my dear friend who had been so supportive of me and, you know, prayed for me and has been one of my besties. And so I put all this thought into it. So I go to hand her this gorgeous heavenly bouquet and she looks at it and she scowls and she snatches the bouquet out of my hand and she slaps me with the bouquet of flowers and petals are flying everywhere. And I'm shocked, like, ah, and then I'm angry and then I feel rejected. And, and, and God spoke to me and said, Joanna, this is how you make others feel when you reject the gift of their compliment. A compliment is a gift. And when I realized that I was rejecting that person, I was saying no to their gift. And then I was body shaming myself by making statements like, why well, look fat? or, oh, I'm bloated today, or, or what have you, then I'm, I'm also shaming myself and demeaning myself. So you bring this into a marriage, now what happens? Okay, so now your husband says, oh, wow, I love you in that dress. Oh, you, you're just saying that. You, I'm, I, really, I look fat. You think I look fat. So what have I done? I've trained him not to compliment me. I've rejected his gift of the compliment because he really liked that outfit. And now I told him that um, I'm not attractive and my body is fat. And so I've drawn negative attention to myself in doing this. Am I realizing I'm doing this? No. Do, do women realize they're, they're doing this? No. And so this is an example of one of the things that I help women come into awareness of. Because you see, if we don't know, if we're not aware of what has to change, what needs to change, how can we change it? So my question is, if, if your romance result is not working for you, maybe you're single and, and you just haven't been able to seem to find the right person, you know, or maybe you're, you're married and your marriage feels disconnected and you feel, you know, disengaged from, from your spouse, from your husband, then clearly something has to change, right? Now we can't change someone else, but we can change how we choose to respond and we can choose to examine ourselves in why we're responding a certain way and how can we respond in a different way that is going to get different results and a different response. Uh, in one of my conferences, I had a woman who attended and uh, she'd been, we'd been doing some work together and she came to the conference. And part of what we do in my conferences is we, we have a, a big section portion is on focused on inner healing, healing from trauma, healing from abuse and all these kinds of things. So, and then I teach these principles. And so she came to that conference with, she had her divorce papers signed by the attorney, ready to go. And she had been married for 25 years, couldn't stand her husband. He couldn't stand her. And they had been miserable for a long time. And so she was, that's it. It's done. She was done. So after the conference, I get a message back from her and she says, Joanna, you're just not going to believe what's happened. I said, what? And she said, my husband transformed over the weekend. And now, of course, she was the one that <laughs> she's the one that had transformed. But her husband it's like the, 
It's like the 18-year-old who thinks his father's an idiot and is amazed at how much he learned by the time he turned 21. Right, exactly. And so a year and a half later, they are happily married. She said that she's in more in love with her husband now than she was when she married him. But what, ha- what changed? The first thing she did was she was willing to take responsibility. She took courage to humble herself and see how she, what's, how she was treating her husband in certain ways. Because there were things that she was doing that was provoking a certain response. Then he would retaliate and then he would respond back. And then it was just like this ugly hamster wheel. They were just going round and round. Well, she chose to get off the hamster wheel. Now, it didn't excuse things that he'd done. But she had to take responsibility for herself. And when she started changing her responses to him, it took time. They were able to then have dialogue. They were able to talk honestly about what each other had done and how they felt and how things had gone south and had all these crucial conversations. And now they are loving life together. So you see- That's a great story. Yeah. So when we make the decision and the choice to start with the inside- then and then our whole world will transform. It will. And that's really what needs to happen. I mean, I have no personal dog in this fight, but I'm concerned about our culture. I'm concerned about my son. I'm concerned mm-hmm. about my daughter. I'm concerned about, you know, someday my grandchildren, but I'm from central New York and we are in the center of the Iroquois Confederacy. And the ethos among the Iroquois was always, when you take a decision, consider seven generations hence. People you will in no way be able to know. You have to think seven generations down the line. And Mm -hmm. I see, I I don't even know that we're going to get to seven generations, Joanna. We've got women that are, you know, 403s, virulent narcissists, Mm -hmm. one video, a woman, I'm tall, I'm 6'5". This girl was probably... Six three, six four, and she weighed four bills. Easy, easy. Wow. And they, you know, the guys asking her, well, "What's your number one requirement for guys?" Oh, he's got to be rich, and and he's got to he's got to work out. And well, what's rich? Well, he's got to make at least two hundred thousand dollars a year, and he's got to work out. And he's got to this, and he's got to that, and he's got to the other thing. And you know, the interviewer is just really. And it doesn't matter whether it's Matt Walsh or Charlie. Uh, uh, Kirk, I saw there's a mm-hmm. great podcast where you get all these young women that are just living the club life. They're, yeah, they're sewing their that wild. They they seem to feel as though their twenties belong to them to sow their wild oats and and they're all upset about uh, Dignify. Have you heard about Dignify? D- Dignif AI. Dignify. No. Yeah, hackers Uh-oh. are putting clothes. Hackers are putting clothes on uh, e thoughts. You know, that whole over uh-huh. there, women that are on uh, OnlyFans and women that are all over Insta and in uh, scanty attire and whatnot. And so they're putting clothes on them. They're putting children in their arms instead of dogs. They're making them traditional women. And the left is going insane. Yeah. And these women really aren't making the connection. Guys are getting it because they're opting out. Passport mm-hmm. bros, they're getting themselves a job online and a passport where they can work anywhere in the world. And they're mm-hmm. going to Africa, South America, uh, Eastern Europe. But the key is they're not going and getting wives and bringing them back and subjecting themselves to our horrific child support and divorce laws. Mm-hmm. 
they're staying there. They're finding a good girl with a good family. And I've got a friend in Bulgaria. He's never been happier. Wow. Well, you know, that's just a lot. for America. I know. Well, this is one of the reasons that my book is out in this perfect timing, because it's going to help women get back to that place. You know, there, like you said, there's been so much of this programming and it boils down to identity. Why is a woman using feel? Why does she feel like she has to use her body to get a man? Well, I'll tell you why. Because she doesn't really believe that she can because she doesn't feel worthy. If you dig down right. on the inside, it's, it's lack of unworthiness. She, she pro- her dad probably most likely was not there, I would bet. And she hasn't been taught that she's valuable. You know, I, I had an encounter in heaven because I used to struggle with my body image. And this is why I titled chapter two, The Beautiful You. And I'm coming out with a second book that's going to deep dive into this whole identity thing. But I was in heaven and I was in this ballroom because I'd been praying that I could go to heaven without dying. And so on my birthday, I found myself in heaven out of my body and I was in this ballroom and all the hosts were heaven were there. And I look ahead of me and I see Jesus and he's standing in front of me at the far end of the ballroom and he starts approaching me. And as he approaches me, he lets me see myself through his eyes, the way he's looking at me, the way he sees me. And I was a princess. I was this, I was in this beautiful gown and and this tiara on my head. And that shifted my entire identity and perspective. And you see, this is what's wrong with our culture. You know, the enemy has done a great job in, in tricking men and women to sexualize everything. Well, a princess, would a royal princess dress like that and demean herself in a royal court in front of the whole court? No, a royal princess is going to be elegant and regal. And, you know, the definition of a princess is one who is strong and courageous. You know, women are strong and courageous, especially if you've had to go through some hard times or you've been through trauma or what have you. But you see, we forget that. We forget when things happen in life, where we're programmed by the media, that we are royalty. So as royalty, we are called to respect and honor ourselves. And so a woman who's dressing basically to nothing, she's doing that because in my opinion, she doesn't know who she is. If she, if she knew who she was, if she knew her self-worth, she would carry herself with class. You know, I, I, I used to teach a, a group of high school kids and I tell the girls, dress classy, not trashy. Because right. you see, when we dress classy, we are honoring and respecting ourselves and our body. But when we hate ourselves or we struggle with self-worth, we don't realize that we're worthy. We don't realize that we're deserving. You know, that's when we start getting those false identity, their pseudo identities that really make a mockery of being a, a woman. We are created to be beautiful. We are created to shine. And the reason that my platform is that we are, that women are like diamonds is because we are created in the image of God. And we all bear a facet of the creator of heaven who's, who's there is no no end to him in in his beauty and grace and so we are all it created in that image and so that's why this book teaches you the practical but also begins to pinpoint and help identify what's underneath that 
because a man wants to honor and respect a woman. He really does. If he's a good man, he does. You know, I interviewed Yeah, but he's got to be seen as more than a wallet. And that's the problem. It's counterintuitive because these women are both overestimating themselves and undervaluing Mm -hmm. themselves, right? So at the same time, they're doing both things. And and they're looking at men just as wallets and men are feeling like we're just wallets and our needs don't matter. In fact, you've got a great term. We've only got a few minutes left, but what is a superhero deactivator? I'm glad you asked. Okay, so the superhero deactivator is operating in behaviors that deactivate the superhero. And the wallet thing, that's huge. Uh, you know, if you're if a woman is only looking for a man to supply her needs, then that's demeaning and it doesn't put him make him feel good it makes him feel it take it diminishes his inner superhero you know every man has a superhero within him she needs to become a queen a king maker so mm-hmm. when we operate as superhero deactivators we're demeaning we nitpick we criticize we fault find you know we don't honor respect and affirm and so women if you look at the chessboard chess has a king and queen the queen rules the board. She can rule, take out any opponent, opponent, but her role in the game of chess is to protect the king. And this is the principle that I'm teaching is how to become a king maker, not a man breaker, and how to activate the superhero in a guy. And if we think about how would I like it if somebody just is looking at me like I'm a wallet with dollar, dollar signs, I wouldn't like it. Right. And so we're in, we, that's where a superhero deactivator becoming aware of operating in these things and then change those things is going to help enhance and bring reconnection to relationships and to marriage to learn how relearn how to honor a man and how to protect his heart, not stab it. And to be fair, there's the other side of the coin too. There are jerk mm-hmm. guys that go for the trophy wife and your boobs yeah. aren't big enough. So here I'm going to buy you new boobs and uh, just, just you know, nobody cares what you you think, honey. Just men are talking. Just you know, sit there and look good. You know, there are jerk right. guys like that, and yeah. it, they're not fulfilling their role either. So we both have to, both sexes have to fulfill our, our godly roles. That's exactly right. And like I said in the beginning, we have one coin and two sides on that coin. Right. One yeah. coin is the side of the men. The other coin is the side of the women. And we are each one hundred percent responsible for our side of the coin. And, and each if you go one back is and li- yeah, and if you go back and, and look at Genesis, women were created to be a help meet and a comfort and a compliment. And, you know, a new study came out today. I alluded earlier to the fact that I'm a neuroscientist by training. It, mm-hmm. We've known this for years. There have been functional MRI uh, studies that have shown this. Men's Men and women's brains are both structurally and functionally different. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always trust, I do not trust my own discernment as much as I trust what's colloquially called women's intuition, right? Because right. women are wired to evaluate threats. Yes. And women can pick up on things that are potentially threatening to their home, to their relationship, to themselves mm-hmm. personally, much better than men can. Men yes. aren't, once a threat is recognized, men are wired to go attack it and subdue it. We're not that great at detection, whereas the women are. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, it, it behooves every man, I always say, you know, if your wife tells you she's got a gut feeling about something, just don't ask questions, go with it because right. it's real. And now another study came out today that 
Uh, definitive proof that men's and women's brains do in fact work differently. We are different. There are two genders and we're different and that's the way God made us. But like a scissors, we are two parts that only work when together. Joanna Harabedian, thanks so much. Can't wait to talk to you again. Go to 7 mistakesbookcom and get yourself a copy of the book. It's, it's going to hopefully be helpful to a lot of relationships out there. That's it for tonight's Thanks. Reckoning. Stay tuned for the Havoyer Moritz Show on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight.